Church, you should be dismissed. Uh, so Jesse's over here and can't miss her. So if you're four, five, or six years old, you can uh, you can follow her. And while they're making their way out, if you would take your Bibles this morning and find Philippians chapter 2. All right. So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be back as we've been working through this uh, series of messages entitled God's Design for His Church. Uh, Last week we were in this passage of Scripture, uh, but I just wanted to kind of center it out uh, as a message by itself uh, because it is so impactful uh, and really important to what it is that we do, who we are as a people, in that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus is everything. Uh, You know, in our culture today, today is a super Sunday. Man, every day is a super Sunday uh, because uh, every day is the Lord's day. And uh, so this morning as we go through that, uh, we're going to be back there in verses 5 through 11. Uh, Remember Paul gave us this as the example as it relates to unity of how God uh, and Christ brought all of these things together. So uh, he's going to do that here uh, this morning as we look at Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to ask you to stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's begin in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at that that name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the privilege it is to know you, to have received you as Lord and Savior. And thank you, Father, that you've made us your own. And I pray this morning that as we have gathered today, the Lord, that we've seen um, these young, precious uh, children come to know you and follow you in baptism, that, Father, we would realize that the point of what we do as the people of God is to manifest and magnify the Lord Jesus in our life, in our ministry, Uh, Lord, essentially declaring in our lifestyle that you indeed are Lord. God, you've always been and you always will. But Father, are you Lord of our life? Father, as we go through this text this morning, remind us of the great lengths in which you came to redeem us. And Father, may we be faithful until your glorious appearing, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. As we go back and we look at verses 5 through 11, we're really 
the scripture breaks down into two categories, two major categories. There's the aspect of this letter that deals with the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the latter half of that that deals with the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Now, again, the Lord is the Lord. He always has been and He always will be. And there's nothing that I can or cannot do that is going to change who He is. He, he always has been and He always will be. But the greater question is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Because we understand something as human beings. Uh, just look around. In every culture, everybody is worshiping someone or something. That is a fact. God made us that way. Uh, we long to put, and we will, put someone or something on the throne of our lives. And uh, we're told in Scripture that even without the Bible, that there's enough evidence, uh, Paul would say there's enough evidence in this fallen world in which we live in alone to make us understand that we are not here by accident, but that indeed there is a Creator, there is Lord. Uh, and we, we wonder, we look to the heavens and we wonder who that may be. And the, and the Word of God details specifically who He is, who Creator and Savior uh, is. And so this morning the question is, not is Jesus Lord, but is He the Lord of this church? Is He the Lord of your life? Is He on the throne of your heart? Because if He is, then my life and your life and the, and the ministry of this church is going to be unique and distinctly different than everything else uh, going on around us. Uh, because of the answer that we have to that question, it determines what we think and it certainly will determine how we live. It will absolutely determine how we live. Now, again... Uh, we begin with the humility of Christ and the example of Christ. Paul would write, let this mind be in you. In other words, uh, think of these things. Uh, the things that are, are good and are, and, and are of God, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, that he would humble himself. That he was fully God, yet he became fully man. That he would uh, leave heaven and that he would... Uh, come to this earth. He would come to us because we could not go to Him. And the Scriptures say in verse 6 that he, was, he did not think it would be robbery to be equal with God. This is, again, just a testimony of the fact that Jesus was fully God and yet He was fully man. Notice what it says, though, in verse 7. But that He made Himself of no reputation. Or your translation may say something like He emptied Himself. That He humbled Himself. Uh, the idea here is that God would, uh, though He was fully uh, God, that His deity was intact, that He would take on this form and this uniqueness of a man to redeem a man. Now understand our problem. Our problem is that we come into this world not bent but broken. We come into this world centered. Uh, and we look for a lot of things to satisfy uh, this, this broken uh, aspect of our lives. Now, see, in our culture today, uh, we don't like conviction. Uh, we, don't, we like victimhood. We don't like the idea of being broken unless we can uh, make some money off of it. Uh, but I want you to understand something this morning. God's Word and, and the Holy Spirit puts a finger on our sin for a reason. 
God's conviction breaks us in our understanding of who we are as sinners, but thank God He does not leave us there. See, the purpose of, of reading the Word of God and when we understand there are things that God says that we're to avoid and things that we're to run to, the purpose of that is to break us over our sin and to uh, halt us from the path in which we're on. But He does not leave us there. See, the devil wants to shame you to the end of the earth. He'll always bring up your sin and he'll always bring up who you are and he'll always bring up your imperfections. And believe me, we have them. We have them. We are all works in progress uh, and we, we're, we're, we've not yet attained that in which we are striving for, but one day we will. So, so we, we preach the word of God. It talks about sin. It breaks us over that sin, but he doesn't leave us there. And that's important. We're to be convicted. We're to understand there is a standard in which can only be made in Christ and is only by the imputed righteousness of Christ given to me that I am made right with God. I can never meet the standard on my own. We need to know that. And we need to understand that on our best day we are going to struggle with the flesh. But, the, but sin does not break me to leave me there. It breaks me so that I'll receive Christ as my Savior. It humbles me to receive Christ as my Savior so that he, he, through the brokenness, He restores, He sanctifies, He builds, and, and He's glorified in this life lived for the glory of God. I'm made better as I journey uh, this side of heaven uh, because of the knocks and the hard aspects of life but also because of the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God that I have received. That I'm unworthy of, only worthy because of the gift of His Son. And I'm grateful for it. We should be grateful for that. Christ stepped into our world, humbled Himself, understood what it was like to live among the people that He ministered to. When we call upon the Lord, we, we identify with a Savior that understands us. Uh, you, you just say, Lord, you don't understand. No, Lord, the Lord does understand. He understands uniquely your situation. Because he, he experienced those things, yet He did not sin. He understands humanity. He understands depravity. He understood where sin will take people. He understood the brokenness of the lepers and the brokenness of those who were crippled and blind. He understood the manifestations of sin and, and the rogue lives that are lived when we move away from the things that are God and we live out our own desires, our own fanciful uh, uh, wishes and things of that nature. He, he experienced those things. He was surrounded by it. And He did that willingly to redeem us. This is the reality here when we're talking about uh, him making himself of no reputation. Listen, the scriptures tell us there was nothing unique in the person of who he was that would draw people necessarily to him. He was common. Uh, even his name, it, it, though, it, though Jesus Christ meant he was the Messiah, but, but the name Jesus or Yeshua was common. I mean, even in the scriptures we, we hear, I mean, can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth for crying out loud? He was common. Made himself of no reputation. 
lived a humbled life. And he did this for a purpose. Same fallen man. God being fully God. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. What, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord, that he's master? He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And yet he would humble himself to become like you and me in our flesh. Experience those things that we experience. Made himself with no reputation, the scripture says. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself. The scriptures tell us that if we would be humbled, that Christ would exalt us in due time. What does it mean to, to be humbled as a, as a person? It means to recognize that we have limits. We're limited, folks. We, we can't solve uh, these, these problems uh, that, that, that plague our culture. We, we, we put band-aids on things, but, but the problems that we have are the result of a broken, sinful nature, and only God can solve that problem. We try to dress it up. We try to call it a lot of different things. We massage it into different shapes. But we do not fix the thing. Humility is when we recognize our limits. I'm limited as a, as a husband. I'm limited as a pastor. I'm limited as a human being. We hear things in our culture today like, you know, uh, you, you can accomplish anything you want to do. Just, just dream big. You can't, you can't fulfill anything you want. It takes talent, giftedness, and hard work. A lot of hard work. You can dream all you want to. That dream will turn into a nightmare if you don't realize there's hard work involved. Everybody has limits. Listen, when I was a young man, I wanted to play football. Am I playing football today? No. You know why? Because five, six, and three quarters of an inch tall and about 170 pounds ain't going to do much for you in the, in the game of football. When I was in the eighth grade, I, I was a 30-30, man. 30-30. 30-30. I'm still, I'm still, well, 29 is what I am now. I, I'm shrinking. 30-30? I didn't go out for the football team. I knew I wouldn't be picked right, right away. 30-30? I'm going to watch the game tonight. I enjoy football. I like it. I've announced it. I used to have a radio show about it for crying out loud. I like the game of football, but I'm not going to play it. Dream all I want. Everybody has limits. When we're humbled and when we understand what humility is, it, it drives us to that understanding. We are limited people. We are frail people. We are finite people. Our lives will not go on forever. I, I mean, it doesn't matter what, what new drug is going to be uh, on the commercial when we break on whatever television program you're watching. It doesn't matter. It, it cannot extend that life. Maybe the quality of life is improved, but everybody has an end. We are limited, folks. Being humbled reminds me of that. Uh, as, a, as a man, as a husband, 
I, I'm, I'm called to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. I'm limited. She's limited. We're called to do those things, but we can never love in the perfect way that Christ loved. And, and when we get close to it, it's only by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And it's hard. It's hard. Because true agape love, uh, as it is expressed in a marriage, is giving our spouse what they desperately need when they don't deserve it. But we give it to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we love their imperfections. We love the person that they are. How do we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit? Is it hard? Absolutely. And when we fail at it, when we stink at it, it humbles us because we realize it is through a, a bowed heart and a bowed knee that we come before God with our struggles. Whether it be uh, fulfilling that obligation as a, as a husband or a wife or as a father to love and to raise children, to see them baptized and realize that the sanctification process now starts. And that, and that your children in your home, they see the best of you and they see the worst of you. They see the gentleness, but they see the harsh, the, the, the harshness too, when, when it's early and you haven't had your coffee yet. They, they experience that. There are times you're going to be a hypocrite. And you know what? You're humbled by that. You're humbled by that. You understand we live in a world that is not perfect and it will never be. No matter how much we march, no matter how much stupid stuff we do, it will never be perfect. The greatest tyrants in history are those who believe that this world could be a utopia. Never forget that. Never forget that. This world is broken, it is sinful, and it should humble us and realize there's no way out of here except by the grace of God. There's no way to succeed in this life but by the grace of God. We need a Savior. And here's Jesus giving us the example. Heaven, all of its glory, perfection, leaving that, taking on that form to know what it meant to cry, to be wounded, to hurt, to feel the nails driven in his hands and his feet. To die of a broken heart. To experience those things. To experience, to see those he loved the most. Leave him in his greatest time of need. You ever been there? Sure you have. If you hadn't, you will be. Even the death of the cross. You know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that, that it was for the joy of set before him the joy the joy of suffering on a cross see we, we see the harshness of the cross and we and we buy into this because this is our culture Jesus is a victim Let, folks listen it is important for us to understand that a godly sinless man that did good John said if I could write everything he did there wouldn't be enough volumes to write it all down. He was good. He was godly. And he was sinless. And absolutely they crucified a just man. God in the flesh. But it was not by accident. It was not by accident. 
In our culture today, we, we, this whole victim mentality, Christ got a bad route. It was not by accident. And he said it was for the joy. The joy? The joy of the, of the, of the crown of thorns pressed down on his head? The, the joy of nails being driven into his skin? His flesh? Uh, the joy of being uh, uh, executed in a manner that was only reserved for the worst of the worst. That was to be made a spectacle. That there was joy in that. I want to tell you, Jesus understood something that we ought to all try and, as best we can to understand. That there is meaning and joy and worth in suffering. For doing it right. And he understood that the pain and the agony and the suffering of the cross on that day would end at 3 p.m. And that there would be exaltation to follow. Three days later, he'd raise from the grave. He'd rise from the grave. Alive. Uh, they'd rolled the stone. They had sealed it. They had guarded it. It didn't hold, couldn't hold Christ. The stone was blown away. Christ came out, walked among people for 40 days, and then ascended into heaven to be there with the Father again in all of His glory. That is the joy. The joy is the goal. The joy is the prize. The suffering is what gets you there. And there's suffering in life. And there's suffering living this life. But there's joy in the prize. And we don't want that today. We want the reward without the pain. Nobody wants to do hard things anymore. But I want to tell you, you'll never know the joy. You'll never know the exaltation of God by playing it safe all the time. We got our bromides, we got our cliches. We're standing around in ankle deep water talking about how brave we are. No, sir. No, sir. God calls us to live dangerous lives. No guarantee other than God's in control. That's what Jesus did. Laid down that, that, that deity or enmeshed it is a, is a better term with his humanity and allowed himself to suffer. On the cross he could have called 10,000, but he didn't. Those who accused him falsely, he didn't argue with them. But as a sheep is led to the slaughter, he laid life down willingly for you, for me. Why? Because restitution had to be made. Sin had to be paid for. Someone had to die. And Christ chose to die in your place and in my place. Just as we saw this morning the picture of laying those children down in that water, it's a picture of a grave. Old you, dead. And just as Christ came up out of that grave, glor grave gloriously, resurrected, you too coming up out of that grave as now a new creation in Christ Jesus. How? Because of the righteousness of Christ given to me, received by me, 
Folks, there's meaning and worth in suffering. You, 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 Paul said, Lord, I want to know the power of your resurrection, but the fellowship of your suffering. He's writing a letter from prison. Lose his, will lose his head for the sake of the gospel. Shipwreck, snake bit, all those things. Serving the Lord. We flip the TV on, you got, you got some guy, slick hair, telling you if you'll sow this much a month, you know, hey, it's going to be health, west, wealth, prosperity, go get your $1,000 car payment and put truly blessed on top. That, that won't fly nowhere else, man. Go, go preach that message to the darkest corners of the earth. Nobody believes that mess. But we buy that in our we buy that in Western culture today because we don't want to do hard things. I know you got plans and I know you got goals and I do too. But Scripture teaches us whatever we're aiming for down here, and it may be a great thing. But you better hold on loosely to that stuff because I'm telling you, Christ will wreck your life. He'll wreck it. Uh, he'll just blow it up, man. He'll take your mouth and shred it in a thousand pieces. He did mine. He absolutely did my life. 32 years ago, when I was about to uh, leave Tiff County High School, the last thing on my mind was being in a pulpit one day, I can assure you. We work hard, but we have fun. We're the class of 91. Yeah, that, that was me. More emphasis on the fun part, you know. At, at, at 25, was, was, I, was I expecting to be in a No, 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 no. I was doing what I wanted to do. Went to school, got the job I wanted, had all my leisure time. My weekends were what I, whatever I wanted to do. Go dive and go do whatever. Those things are fun. There's great, nothing inherently sinful about them. God was just, it was about me. By the time I turned 30, I was married, a youth pastor. Actually, I wasn't a youth pastor then, but I was working in Awana. I remember that. Amazing how God, all you got, hey, all y'all working in Awana? Yeah, that's where it started. That's where it started, Dot. By the time I was 35, I was a youth pastor. By the time I was 40, 40 I was pastor of church. I had adopted two children. By the time I was 45, I adopted four children. When we first got married, we had this crazy idea that we were like, well, we don't really need kids. We don't want kids. God will wreck your plans. Absolutely wreck your plans. Because what he has in store for you is of greater value than your own plans. One of my favorite illustrations of this is the life of William Boardman. A lot of people know the story. And 
Here's a guy who by the age of 25, he's dead, he's gone. And yet, you know, if you were to, to go to Cairo, Egypt today, you know, there's, there's you know, in the, in the back alleys of that city, off the beaten path, there's this American missionary graveyard back there. And if you took the time to, to find it, there on this, you know, sun-scorched, dusty, dirty gravestone, where this young man died of meningitis years ago. At the age of 25, on his way to China to minister to Muslims, wanted to stop there to learn the language, lived with a family so he could hear Arabic constantly so he would get the, the language and the lingo and be able to minister to people. And on his tombstone are these words that apart from a life in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. The reality is by the age of 25, William Borden had accomplished more than what unfortunately ever infatuates the neurological pathways of most people today. He had a goal way out there and he never made it to that goal but along the way he surpassed any expectations that he might have had of the opportunities that God put along his path. And while we're looking for a certain age or a certain benchmark or a certain dollar amount in the 401k, good luck. There's opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that pass us by and lay up heavenly treasure for the glory of God. Jesus' life exemplifies that. That wherever he went, he ministered. The joy that was set before him was through the suffering of the cross, ascending into heaven. But there was a whole lot of work to be done before we ever got there. And there's work to be accomplished today along the way. But we won't accomplish it unless Jesus is Lord. William Borton, Borton can have on his tombstone that inscription because the Lord was truly on the throne of his life. We Carey made the statement that we're to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Why? Because Jesus was Lord. And you fill in the blank. Where am I stuck at? What in my life stinks? Forget how you portray it. Because I'm tired of that too. Your Facebook is not reality. Your status and your pictures are not reality. It's perception, but it ain't reality. Every day is not sunshine and rainbows on the beach, man. It's not. We, we use perception with reality. Where are you stuck at today? I mean, if you're just honest before God and He already knows, what is stinking it up in my life? Is he Lord? Because if he is Lord, if he's Lord, not only will he wreck it, but he'll fix it. He'll fix it. Because everybody at one point in the future
We can worship Him now. We can exalt Him for the Lord that He is. But we'll do it not in heaven but in hell. Because the Scriptures say that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Is He Lord? Is He Lord of your life? Apart from a life in Christ, there's no other explanation for life but to see Him. What a great summary of a life spent for the glory of God. Where are we struggling? What is hindering us from experiencing that? I, I, I want to tell you, if you'll ask, I can promise you this, God will put His finger on it. The Holy Spirit's living within you, He'll check it. He absolutely will. He'll break you, but not to live with you. May God give us the strength and the courage this morning to live that victorious life in Christ. To put Him on the throne of our heart as Lord. And if, and if, you're, if you're not saved and, 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 and you're not understanding that, then it's a different question for you. It's a different choice for you. It's, it's choosing Christ as Savior. It's rejecting hell and, and choosing heaven. That's the question for you to resolve. But for the saved today, is He the Lord of your life? If He's not, make Him the Lord of your life. And buckle up and enjoy the ride that you're fixing to take. God desires to do great things. We ought to expect it, but we certainly ought to pursue it. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We need you. Father, our greatest need is recognizing and acknowledging, God, that you are indeed Savior, that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we need you. But God, so many of us today, struggle. We, we're not living in victory. God, give us the strength to pursue you. To turn away from um, hatred, envy, uh, Lord, just unmet expectations of life that we have no guarantees over. To God, turn away from that, to, to find a need, to find humility, to cry out and to ask God to to just for your mercy and your love to encompass my life in a way that I'm not living jaded and hurt, but free. That I'm a person that is experiencing grace and that I'm offering grace to those around me, Lord. I won't give it if I haven't received it. I can't give it away if I don't know it. Give us that today, Lord. Give us a hungering and a thirsting for the things of God, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.